0: Well, good morning. Congrats to you all who braved the dreary uh, December day today. I'm so glad that you're here. As Jack mentioned, we lit the candle of peace. So today we turn to scripture to examine what it means to have peace and what this word peace means to us during the Advent season as followers of Jesus. So we're going to be in Isaiah chapter 40. Isaiah chapter 40, the book of Isaiah is where many of the typical Christmas readings come from, though this isn't typically a Christmas reading. Isaiah chapter 40, we're going to read the first third or so of the chapter, starting in verse 1. It says this, Comfort. Every valley shall be raised up, every mountain and hill made low. The rough ground shall become level, and the rugged places a plain, and the glory of the Lord will be revealed, and all people will see it together, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. A voice says, cry out, and I say, what shall I cry? All the people are like grass, and all their faithfulness is like the flowers of the field. The grass withers and the flowers fall because the breath of the Lord blows on them. Surely the people are grass. The grass withers and the flowers fall, but the word of our God endures forever. You who bring good news to Zion, go up on a high mountain. You who bring good news to Jerusalem, lift up your voice with a shout. Lift it up, do not be afraid. Say to the towns of Judah, here is your God. See, the sovereign Lord comes with power. He rules with a mighty arm. See, his reward is with him, and his recompense accompanies him. He tends his flock like a shepherd. He gathers the lambs in his arms, and he carries them close to his heart. He gently leads those that have young. Let's pray. Lord, as we come to you, come to your word asking you to show us what it means to rest in your peace during this Christmas season, I ask that your peace would fill this room, that we would know it even this morning in our gathering. We know that we live in a world that often lacks peace, but today, let us catch a breath of your peace. And as we examine your word, let anything that's from me be noticed and rejected. But what is faithful to you, let it plant itself deeply in our hearts that we will be formed into your likeness. We love you, Jesus. Amen. I, uh... I love Christmas. Anybody else love Christmas? I I absolutely love the Christmas season. Most of the year, I kind of shun like what I think to be cheesy and cliche. I grew up an emo kid, which means I really like to like music that other people don't like and, you know, that type of stuff. So things that are cliche, you know, not normally my thing, but at Christmas, I mean, like play the song, like put on the sweater. I love it. I love it all. Um... And I'm curious, this is going to be a little bit interactive, I need, I need some responses from the audience here. Um, how many of you have Christmas traditions that you or your family or your friends do every year? You go to the same place, okay, awesome. Pretty, most of us, most of us have some sort of Christmas tradition, right? Uh, what are some of those? Would anyone be willing to share what some of your Christmas traditions are? Christmas Eve pajamas, Christmas Eve pajamas. nice, nice, Yeah. Ooh, nice. I'm coming to your house on Christmas. <laughs> that sounds great. Anybody else? Yeah. Nice. Nice. I'm coming to your house after. <laughs> Anybody else? What are your Christmas traditions? Yeah. Ooh, I like that. I like that. Nice. Nice. Okay. How many of you, like, go to somebody's family's house, something like that? You gather with the same people every year? Okay. Yeah, a lot of us. All right. I would guess if we all examined our Christmas traditions, there are going to be some unique things, but there are also going to be some of the same things that we all do. There's a good chance that our playlists all look the same. Now, we might have a different band covering All I Want for Christmas is You on our playlist, but they've probably all got Mariah Carey's, you know, on on there somewhere, right? We've got, A lot of the same stuff. It's funny because at Christmas, we do the same things as a culture, a lot of us. We do the same thing every year. We go to the same places. We listen to the same songs. We eat the same food. We put out the same decorations, right? It's kind of the definition of cliche. In fact, for those of you who probably don't like the holidays as much, there are some of us who just don't really get down with the Christmas season. Probably, if I had to guess, your number one complaint with this time of year is it's just the same stuff. It's just cliche, it's so consumeristic, it doesn't even mean anything anymore. It's kind of funny that for some of us who love it, our attachment is kind of the same thing that causes some of us not to like it, you know? And there's an interesting relationship that we have, at least for me, maybe this is one of the many sermons that I preach to myself and you guys all just get to listen, but for me at least... There are these things that I look forward to every year. I look forward to going to get a tree. We're a real tree family because when I was a kid, we sold Christmas trees in our yard. So a real tree is nostalgic to me. So we go get a tree every year, and we go to my grandma's house, and we open presents on Christmas morning, and we listen to the greatest Christmas record of all time, Alabama's Christmas. Every year. I don't care what anybody says. It's the greatest Christmas record of all time. We listen to it over and over and over again. Um, And I look forward to these things. You know, like as soon as the leaves start to turn, I start looking forward to these things. But have you ever noticed that some of the times those things you look forward to them and then they finally get here and you're like, oh, I have heard this song a thousand times. (laughs) I mean, I like it, but also I'm going to skip it. (laughs) Or you go to the same family, family's house you meet with them every year you've been looking forward forward to it the whole time and then you spend 30 minutes with them and you're like this is why we only meet once a year <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> those things that we love we look forward to them we all know that they're significant it's significant to gather with family you listen to that song because it means something to you You like the song, but also you listen to it when you were a kid. You go to that place, you look at that picture, you hang up that thing because there's something significant about it. We know there's something significant about it, but oftentimes in the rote tradition of it, we miss the significance because of the repetition or because of the busyness of life. Or because of the complicated relationships. We know it matters. We know it's true. We know there's something there. But at the same time. The thing that we look forward to. And that we believe in. We kind of miss out on. Because it feels so common. There are. Ideas and phrases. In the Christian life. In the Christian world. That I think are very similar. There are things that we we know are true. Many things that center around the Advent season, we talk about simplicity and celebration and quiet and stillness, all of these things that we would love and value and really hope are true. And then we get to January and feel like all we did was go for a month and a half and we didn't get any rest or really celebrate anything oftentimes. But one of these phrases that we hear so often, that's said so many times, and we we know there's something significant to it, but I think it's, at least for me, become cliche is God is in control. Don't worry. God's in control. Maybe it's just me. Anybody else? Does that feel a little cliche to you? A little bit sometimes? I don't know if it's because we hear it so often. I don't know if it's because it's like a bumper sticker and T-shirt type Christian phrase. Or I don't know if it's because of the, the situation that it's often used in. Sometimes it feels like that is just kind of a cop-out to avoid a complicated emotion, you know? Well, don't worry, God's in control. Or, well, God's got a plan. You know, something bad happens in your life, don't worry, God's got a plan. Something bad happens in the world, don't worry, God's got a plan. That's one of those things that, I mean, it's, it's true, but it doesn't necessarily bring the peace that maybe we think it should because of how often and how easily and how quickly it gets used, and sometimes because of the complicated relationships and scenarios of life in which it gets used. It's become a cliche. But this passage of Scripture is many things. It's a poem. It is a poetic prophecy in which Isaiah is speaking on behalf of the Lord and to the Lord, predicting God's comfort, but really, what it centers on, this passage centers on God's power and his control. This this passage is about God being in control. He's powerful. He's going to redeem. He's like a shepherd. If you keep reading in the passage, you'll read common verses that you might have heard if you grew up in church, like... Uh, Uh, those who wait on the Lord will renew their strength. They will mount up with wings as eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not grow faint. As someone who has felt very exhausted by life, sometimes that's a verse that sometimes feels a little bit like a cliche, even though I know it's true and I know it's significant, right? that's That's what this passage is about. It's about God being in control, which should but doesn't necessarily always give us peace. So, This is a little bit different. I'm kind of breaking all of the preaching rules in doing this. But in spending the rest of the day, the rest of the morning, I just want to talk about what peace is and what God being in control is. Does that sound good? So the first thing, first point. When we talk about peace, biblically, we're talking about the Hebrew word shalom. Now, a lot of scholars, a lot of preachers, a lot of authors have done a lot of work on what the word shalom means. But if you were just to define it very literally, you would probably define it as something like complete. And when we talk about peace, when we think about peace, we generally mean complete. Not in tension or not in conflict, right, if there is a war or if there is an argument, then there is not peace, if there is no argument, then there is peace, or we might mean something like a sense of being at rest or a sense of being at ease. If you grew up in a christian household you 've probably heard someone say, "Well, I just got peace about it. <laughs> I just have peace about that thing, and you just mean you, you feel at ease about it, but Shalom includes those things but goes beyond those things in fact, if you were to speak speak to someone who speaks modern Hebrew, um, they would use a phrase that would be the Hebrew equivalent of how are you? Um, and it would be ma I butchered the pronunciation or ma shlomcha depending on whether you are speaking to a man or a woman. And you hear in the middle of that ma shlom, shalom is the word. And it's actually asking the question, how is your peace? That would be the transliteration. That would be the literal English words. But it means, how are you? Because when the Bible is talking about peace, it's not necessarily talking about are you fighting with anyone or are you arguing with anyone. It's talking about your needs being met. Does your life feel complete in this moment? Is there anything lacking? Another way you could translate that word is being sound. Is your life sound right now? Is your life stable? In the Advent season, we ask the question, is our life complete and is it sound? And how does the coming of Jesus bring soundness and stability into our lives? Now, if you're like me, you heard peace means life is sound and stable, and that makes you chuckle a little bit and then pretend like you didn't chuckle because you don't want anybody to know that your life hasn't really felt stable in a while. Because that's life, right? Because oftentimes it doesn't feel stable. So if we're talking about peace biblically, if we're talking about a world in which things constantly seem unstable, in fact, if you were to look throughout Scripture, if you were just to examine like popular advice, one of the things that you will find is that what we know is that the world isn't very stable, and we shouldn't expect it to be stable. That's one of the things that we come to terms with throughout scripture is that in this world, you will have trouble, right? So it causes us to look to the Lord and say, the only way I can have peace because I am not in control at all is if you are in control. So the idea of having peace is directly tied to being able to rest in the Lord's control. Of things, Being able to find rest in his control. Now that might create for some of us a little bit of cognitive dissonance. Because we believe that God's in control. But if control means what we think it means, then we look at a world that seems out of control at times. Or we look at a world... And we say, well, if if God's in control of everything, if everything's going according to plan, then does that mean God planned those things? Does that mean God is in control of wars breaking out all over the world? Does that mean God is in control of war, terrorism, divorce, cancer, All I Want for Christmas is You being played on the radio over and over and over again, all the time, even though it's the worst of the Christmas songs. I said what I said. (laughs) What do we mean when we mean control? Here's what I want to propose to you this morning. And this is really important. Because oftentimes, I think, at least for me, when I interact with this statement, God is in control, I find myself doing these strange mental gymnastics where I feel like, God, if you're in control and if everything's going according to your plan, then I have to find a way to convince myself that everything in my life is good right now. Then I have to find my way to convince myself. I have to find a way to defend God or justify his actions in the world around me. Because if he's in control, then that means everything has to be good. Here's what we mean when we mean that God is in control. What we mean is that God has everything under his control. But that God has created human beings with free will as a basic foundational reality of being human. Something about the image of God in us requires for us to be human, that we have free will. So while God is sovereign, meaning he has power and he has authority, he allows us to operate with some authority as well. Now, this is going to sound like a really controversial statement, but what that means is that even though God is in control, that he does not actively control everything that happens in the world. We on the same page? Hopefully that doesn't disrupt anybody's theology because often we talk about God being in control and doing everything. But God in his sovereignty has given us the ability to actually affect the world around us. So when we say I can trust that God is in control, we're not saying that everything that happened is good. What we're saying is that even though many things happen that are not good, God is still in control. Now that is really important because if you look at Isaiah chapter 40, if you were to back up one verse, you find this really weird passage where God is talking to a, pro, or to a king named Hezekiah and God tells Hezekiah, hey, a lot of really bad stuff is going to happen because of sin. Sin is not part of God's plan, but sin happens. Bad stuff is going to happen because of sin. And then Hezekiah, and then I just think this is funny. God says, don't worry, Hezekiah. It's going to happen in the time of your generation. It's going to happen in the time of your descendants. Or he says it's coming in your children's time. And Hezekiah, instead of saying, oh, bummer, it's going to be tough for my kids. He's basically like, well, at least I won't be alive for it. (laughs) Real stand-up guy. Hezekiah was a complicated character. But in other words, the comfort that God brings in Isaiah chapter 40 is because something has not gone according to plan. And God is promising that even though, because of sin, your people are in exile, I will not let the exile have the final say in your life. I will come and redeem. So when we look at the life of Jesus, what we're saying is that things did not go according to plan, but Jesus entered into the mess and redeemed it anyway. When we talk about God's control, what we're saying is, I trust that God will come into any situation and will bring good out of the situation. I'm not saying that every situation is good. This is one of the most important things that I can tell you as one of your pastors, because oftentimes as Christians, we deflect and we disengage from difficult things and we slap cliches on them rather than looking for the actual work of God's redemption in the pain of the world around us. But we are not called to be people who are disengaged or disinterested in the pain of the world. We are called to be people who are actively participating in God's redemptive work in the pain of the world. Around us. How do we have peace? We look at our situation in life. and the world around us. Without trying to force it to be good. Without trying to pretend. That it's something it's not. But trusting that God is at work in it. Bringing good. Out of it. This is important. So that we will never look back on that situation in life. And say I'm glad it happened. But we will look back on that situation in life. And say even though it happened. God did something good. This is how we rest in shalom. We rest knowing that we have what we need, not because everything is good, but because God is making everything good. Shalom is not closing your eyes to the world around you. Shalom is choosing to trust that God is faithfully at work in the world around you. Shalom is choosing to see God's active control and his participation in the world in spite of our sin. Romans 8, 28, the often cliched verse that says God works all things together for the good of those who, are call, who love God and are called according to his purpose does not mean that all things are good. It means that God moves in the bad and brings good. So this is our peace. This is our source of peace as his followers is we look at the Lord and we say, you are not leaving us in our situation. You are not abandoning us in our situation. How do we look at a world that is at war and not turn to anxiety? We say that even though I am not in control, God is, which means he will not let war have the final say. Now listen, there is, caveat is the wrong word there's something that we have to understand here. In the season of Advent, we celebrate twofold the coming of Jesus. We celebrate that Jesus came in the incarnation, that he was born, and we celebrate that he's coming again. So as people who find peace in the redemption of God, we are people who trust that our needs will be met in this life, but that everything will be made right in eternity. We live in what you've heard before if you've been here for a while, or many theologians call the already-not-yet kingdom of God, which means we live knowing that we have prayers that are answered and we have prayers that will be answered if they are faithful to God's character. We live knowing that God provides for our needs, but that there are some things that we will see made right in eternity. Which means we are people who do not despair or do not lose peace over unanswered prayers because our hope does not end in this life. We know that everything will be made right in eternity. There are things that we look at now and we cannot imagine or foresee an answer. But we trust that even if it's not answered in this life, it is answered in the next And I want to be careful here because this can feel like a cop-out. This can feel like a cliche answer to a complicated question. But I'm not telling you to ignore the pain of this world because everything will be made right. What I'm telling you is that in the deepest pain and doubt of this world, it points us to a God who is active in this world, but who will make everything right in the resurrection. I'm not telling you that we disengage from our situations and place a blind hope in eternity. I'm saying that the longing of this world points us to the fulfillment of eternity. And those are very different things. One is escapism, but one is deep connection to God who is at work in this world and the next. We can look at the world around us and say, as C.S. Lewis said, he said that if we have a hunger that can be fulfilled by food and we have loneliness that can be fulfilled by company, then our deep desire for eternity can be fulfilled in the coming of Jesus, that every human desire is fulfilled in something so our spiritual longings are fulfilled in eternity with Christ. We are people who can trust the control of God because we are people who do not have a timeline. We are people who do not have a deadline on the answer that God is bringing. Once again, this can feel like a cop-out, but it is a deep source of peace for those of us who follow Jesus because we know that our unfulfilled longings in this world, the longings that God has put in us, are fulfilled in his presence and point us to him. So in the season of Advent, when we celebrate peace, we look at the world around us receiving the shalom of God not because everything is good in the world, but because it will be. Not because everything is right, but because God will make everything right. Not because we have an answer or a solution to everything, but because he does, and we are reminded, we are reminded that nothing will be left undone. So, as we conclude we're going to spend a few minutes to consider and I want to give you two questions to consider as we have a few moments of introspection the first the first question to consider is what is disrupting your peace What are the things that you cannot control right now but that you are longing to control and the desire to control that thing is disrupting your peace? That's the first question. And the second question is, what would it look like to allow the Lord to be in control of that thing, to trust his control? I understand that turning something over to the Lord sounds a lot easier than it is. But I want us just to begin to imagine the things that are causing us deep anxiety now, if we were to trust that the Lord is in control of those things, what would that be like? Let's catch a vision of what peace could be. we on the same page? Let me pray for us, and we'll spend five minutes in introspection. Jesus, Prince of Peace, we love you and we trust you. We know that you are in control even though we don't always understand what your control means. We know that you are in control even when we cannot see the way you are working in the world around us. We know that in spite of our best efforts to break things, that you will not let them stay broken. We know that in spite of our mistakes, that you will not leave things unredeemed that are surrendered to you. So let us find your peace. Let us find a sound and complete life, knowing that you are redeeming and making right everything in the world, now and in eternity. Love you, Jesus.